Yeah, as we were talking about what happened last year, we were having some laughs back there and thinking, man, hopefully none of that stuff happens. And then I started thinking, it's going to be kind of boring if none of that happens. Because <laughs> that, that, that really was, was exciting. Even having that first service, it was, you know, coming out of, out of I mean, we're still in, in COVID. For some people, I knew it was going to be their first time back in person. And we talked about it, and we talked about it with our volunteers, which is always one of the major concerns in uh, whether you're going to call off services or not. But we did it. It was, and it was a lot of fun. And there were some people that just were like in tears that, that we'd had it. They were so happy. So I want to welcome all of you. I'm Henry Williams. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Five Oaks. And we have been in an Advent series. Uh, this is like the fourth week of our Advent series. And so we've been looking at the major themes of Advent. Uh, peace, joy, love. Today we're looking at, um, well, peace, hope, love. Today we're looking at joy uh, specifically. Um, for some fun, uh, if you, just in case you don't take notes, at the end of the notes section of the sermon application guide that you got on the way in, I give some recommendations, uh, three albums, three Christmas albums that maybe you've never heard of or never heard. Um, one Christmas playlist that maybe you've never played and uh, is just a fun one, I think. And then one article that I think you, know, you might enjoy called I Love Santa by one of my favorite theologians. Uh, so I want to encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, because understanding the Bible and your purpose in life doesn't have to be a mystery, we open our Bibles at Five Oaks. And I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 14. And I just remembered I forgot to tell the drummer to bring my stand. <laughs> All righty. Okay, we're going to pray as we always do. We pray a prayer of illumination, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word to our hearts and our minds, as well as to help us, empower us to, uh, to carry it out. So this, this prayer is based on Galatians chapter 4, so please pray along with me. Or pray, uh, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that when the time had fully come, you sent your son to be our redemption. You knew our need, and your plan unfolded precisely as it should have. Guide us by your spirit, and give us understanding as we look to your word. Thank you that we can have faith in your perfect timing. Teach us to be a reflection of who you are as we trust in the fulfillment of your promises. Fathers, we talk about joy today. I pray that you would fill our hearts with your joy, the joy in you, the joy that you bring, that we can rejoice in who you are and what you've done. And Father, we recognize that for some there is great sorrow right now from, uh, from diagnoses that have been received to deaths in the family, uh, to chronic depression. There's so many things that fight with our joy, Father. We're not overlooking that. We just pray that you would um, help us to experience joy even in our most difficult times. Um, pray for your touch of healing and pray for your presence to be felt no matter what the situation is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So joy is one of the key things themes in the Bible, but it's not one of the key characteristics of most Christians. That statement sounds like an indictment, and I suppose it is partially, it can be an indictment, but I want you to stop for a moment and just realize that's not completely an indictment of Christians. 
Uh, years ago, I heard a story about Francis of Assisi that I haven't been able to find, <laughs> so I don't know exactly what he said. Uh, I can't verify it um, as, as well as those kinds of things can be verified. But it went something like this. He was, it was a quote, and it was about how every single day was filled with sorrow for him. It didn't matter what, how well things were going in the day. Something would bring sorrow to him. And the example that he gave, he might be walking on the street, and he sees a hungry, suffering, stray dog in the street, of which in that day they had a lot of them. And, and so the reality is that that God has called us to care about the sorrows in our world, about the difficulties in our world. Uh, we look at the life of Christ, and he feels sorrow throughout the Gospels. He, he has a sense of loss and of, of grief for his people and the people that are rejecting him. Um, yeah, Sometimes our lack of expressing any joy in our lives is something that lays really within our responsibility to take care of. I have a friend who was lamenting being with extended family this year. He said his, um, his parents were so lacking in joy, and they're, they're followers of Jesus, so lacking in joy, it is just hard to spend extended times with them. Um, there may be something going wrong there, but this is a chronic situation um, in, in their lives, and there are some practices that they have in their lives that he can pinpoint and say, well, you, of course, if you've got Fox News or CNN in the background all day long <laughs> as you go through your day, uh, you're not going to have a whole lot of joy in your life. Um, Christmas can also be a very difficult season for a lot of people, uh, particularly difficult to experience joy because uh, some of us are experiencing Christmas this year for the first time without certain people that we love. Um, or maybe it's been a year or two years. Some of you are uh, absolutely exhausted because you're trying to build memories for your family. Uh, so you are spending extra time cooking, shopping, working overtime, and you're not taking time to enjoy the season yourself. And tragically, some people really have very few, if any, good memories to draw from uh, in this season. And so the season, just as soon as it starts, it's like, you know, rubbing salt in a wound. So joylessness during the season of good cheer is particularly painful. And when it is, it feels, we feel particularly alone. And I think all of us experience at times, you know, you have those years where you just go, man, I just can't get into the spirit of this thing. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. The music isn't doing it. The, the, the foods, you know, the candies, you know, whatever it is, it's just, it's just not doing it. So that can be our experience at any given time. And yet joy is one of the key themes in Advent and Christmas. Joy certainly is an important element in the story of the shepherds where the angel comes and then the chorus of angels come. It's one of my favorites. I think uh, we've all been conditioned maybe to make it one of our favorites because of the Charlie Brown special maybe. And so we normally have uh, five ochres read our passage, um, uh, but I am going to uh, have um, Linus read our passage uh, for us today. Uh, you will, uh, by the way, I forgot to say this, uh, you might want to get your Bible out and turn to Acts chapter 14, and that is in the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, that's page 1107, 1107. 
um, because that's one of the passages we're going to look at in, in uh, short order. So let's, let's watch as Linus reads our passage for us. It turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is. Is about, I guess. <laughs> All right. So joy is one of the key themes in the story of, of, of Jesus' birth. We're going to watch, as we've been doing throughout the series, we're going to watch the Bible Project video on the Advent themes, this one on joy. We'll get kind of a big overview before we kind of focus in a little bit more for the rest of the sermon. So let's watch that. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. 
Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. All right, so joy, a major, major theme in the Christmas story and in the Bible. Um, what if we could experience joy, the joy that God promised the shepherds and God's people, no matter what is happening in our lives. Today, I want to show you that to experience joy, you have to know where and how to find it. Uh, that's one of the points that uh, Professor uh, Lori Santos, who teaches at Yale, uh, makes in the most popular course ever taught at Yale University. It's a course on happiness. And uh, the course is called The Psychology of the Good Life. And she, she oftentimes cites stories in, in her course. She cites several stories uh, that show how, and studies, that show how our minds play tricks on us. They, our minds trick us to pursue happiness and joy in things that really can't deliver happiness and joy. So she has this little thought experiment that she does. She says, make a short list. And it's been done with lots of people. And she says, you make a short list of the things that you believe will make you happy. And they can be things that are big things, like, um, let's say, uh, a big raise, uh, something like that. Or it can be a small thing, like uh, the meal you're going to have tonight that you're looking forward to. And uh, so you write down that short list. And she says when she's done, she can look at all these lists. And almost in every case, it's wrong wrong, wrong, wrong. 
These are not things, scientifically speaking, that lead to happiness. Scientifically meaning after interviewing thousands upon thousands of people and the results of receiving some of these things. So our minds play tricks on us when it comes to happiness. Now you might be thinking, you might be thinking, I know that. I know that the Bible says that putting our hope, what, uh, what the Bible says about putting our hope in circumstantial stuff, stuff that, that can go away very quickly. But Santos would say to us, if we're thinking that, well, yeah, maybe you know that. I, I get it. But your mind will still trick you. <laughs> and she gives example after example. We know, for example, that $19.99, $19.99 is no different than $20. And yet we will always pick up the $19.99 and feel like we got somewhat of a deal, even though if you know, we get that penny change, we just hand it back and say, can you do something with this? <laughs> we don't want it, um, you know, that kind of a thing. And, um, and so our, our mind is constantly playing tricks, and she says, when it comes to pursuing happiness, knowing is not half the battle. You know the saying, knowing is half the battle? She goes, knowing is not half the battle, it's not even close. You have to change your habits too. You can't just know. You've got to practice different habits. So I want to share with you three places where we can find joy and we can experience joy in our lives. And um, knowing where is important, but it's not enough. Uh, we also have to practice it. So we're going to talk about some of the things that we can do to practice joy in this season, no matter what we're going through, whether things are going really great or it's a difficult time in our lives. So where do we find it? We find joy, first of all, in pleasure. Find joy and pleasure. In an article called A Biblical Theology of Pleasure, the author, Tim Shorey, writes this. It says, God could have made all nutritious food taste like sawdust and given us an irresistible urge to eat it anyway. So I just want you to stop and think about this because you can apply this to lots of things in life. Could have tasted like nothing. Could have tasted like dirt. Uh, but that's not what he did. This says something wonderful about the one who made us. God invented taste buds and 10 million different flavors to go with them. The incredible pleasure of taste bears witness both that God is and that He is good. Acts 14, if you're in that passage, Acts 14 recalls a time when Paul, the Apostle Paul, is preaching in a town. Barnabas is with him, his first ministry partner as he's traveling around the Greco-Roman world, and they heal someone. And as a result of the healing, the people go nuts. They're just like, this is incredible. We have gods among us. And they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas, which as Jewish men, they are absolutely appalled that they have been made into idols, that they have been made into gods. And so uh, they start tearing their clothes, uh, which in their tradition is what you do when you're grieving. You're like, this is, this is horrible. And then you have this conversation beginning in verse 15 of Acts 14. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in your seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Now, I think this defies 
a lot of the theology that we, a lot of us who are Bible readers and been around the church for a long time, it defies a lot of the theology that we've built in our own minds that really doesn't match with the theology of Scripture. Because the Apostle Paul is talking to people who are, quite literally by the definition of the term, they're pagans. They worship many gods. They have idols for all these gods. They do not worship the one true God. And Paul says to them, God provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God fills their hearts with joy. What does he do that with? He does it with the things he's created, the pleasurable, good things that he's created is traced back to God himself providing in that way. The Bible Project makes the same point. You might have caught it. But it says in the Bible, there is joy, happiness, gladness in uh, a bottle of wine, uh, in a wedding, in our children, in even the smell of perfume. And I put the quote in your outline so you can read it uh, later and see the passages that it's talking about. Here's um, the practice. Here's the application uh, for finding joy and pleasure. If you're exhausted by this season or by your circumstances in life, Carve out some time, carve out some moments, create some moments to enjoy God's pleasures. And those pleasures may include, you know, the pleasures of friendship, of family, of rest, of eating with others, of music, of prayer. None of these have to take lots of time. None of these have to cost anything. None of these have to put added pressure on your life. You can put music in the background while you're working. Uh, you can pray while you cook. Uh, you can, um, you have to eat. <laughs> so why not, while you're at work, if you're at work, invite someone to eat with you, even if you're only taking 15 minutes at your desk. Why not invite someone to join you for that? So to experience joy, you have to know where to look for it, and we find joy in the pleasures that God provides. Secondly, Find joy in God's loving promises and the things he's told us that he is going to do. Some of them, many of them that we're still waiting for, but not all of them. So as we noted repeatedly throughout this Advent series, God promises to someday make all things right. But that hasn't happened yet. And we're waiting for that day. But in the meantime, God also promises his presence to his people. God promises that we can have forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross by putting our faith in him. Um, God has promised that we can be made right with him through the atonement, through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. It was his, our sins going to him on the cross, his righteousness coming to us. These are things that we, these are promises that we can experience right now in our lives. So a certain pastor named Scotty Smith, he um, wrote an article on joy, and he talked about two kinds of joy that we don't talk about very often or that uh, he gives a name to. Maybe we know about these joys, but we, you know, he gives some name to them. There's others, but, but here's, here's one of those. Um, the first one is what he calls nevertheless joy, nevertheless joy. So you see this joy in a passage from the Gospels where Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to go do ministry, to cast out demons, to bring healings, to do all kinds of things. And they do. And when they come back, they are like buzzing. I mean, they are like, you wouldn't believe what 
happened in your name. We said this in your name and these things would happen. I mean, they are, they are just going crazy over it. And then um, here's what Jesus, this is how he responds. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw, and Jesus said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right, so nevertheless joy is a joy that focuses our joy on those things that are eternal and on those things that really matter. Another way to put it is that matter most or matter eternally um, that are enduring, things that are enduring. Were they wrong when the disciples came back? Were they wrong to be happy about the power of Jesus flowing through them? I don't think so. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. But as Jesus is listening to them, he sees that something is lacking. It's easy to happen. When things are going really, really well for us, it's easy to become just really happy about those circumstances that are right in front of us right now. Like, oh my gosh, look at this present that I got. Or, oh my goodness, this wonderful thing happened at work. Or I just got this windfall financially or something like that. And to be really happy. Is it wrong to feel happy? No. Uh, in fact, we just saw that God gives us some pleasures for us to enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with that. But he notices something is, is missing. And he notices that they're really focused on power. They're very focused on special abilities. And none of that mattered. This is his way of saying, none of that matters compared to the fact that you have salvation and that there is salvation, that God is going to make all things right, that salvation is not just salvation for us individually, but salvation points to the return of Christ, to making things right, to making the earth, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation that we're going to experience. Now, there's another uh, kind of joy that, that Scotty Smith names, and it's what he calls yet joy. And we see this yet joy in the story of Habakkuk. So uh, we, in the, in the midst, in the very early days of COVID, we, we spent a few weeks on the book of Habakkuk because it felt like the days of Habakkuk in many ways. And, and so when Habakkuk, um, when Habakkuk uh, was alive and prophesying, the Babylonian armies are coming in and they're going to wipe everything out, and God has told them they're going to wipe everything out. It's just like, it's going, to be, it's going to be terrible, and it's going to be apocalyptic what's going to happen, and Habakkuk is full of sorrow, and this is what uh, Habakkuk says. He says, I heard, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are, though there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there be no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's yet joy. Yet joy is a joy that we can experience in spite of sorrow, pain, trouble, and grief. It's the kind of joy that the Bible Project video talked about when it named it joy in the wilderness. They're in the desert. Nothing, nothing is really going well for them yet, and yet they are filled, filled with joy. Yet joy is, of course, really hard to find. 
We talk about finding joy in certain things. This is really hard to find in the midst of sorrows and difficulties. And sometimes it's hard to detect even when it's found. I remember taking intro to psychology and some psychology courses in college and my college days and, and um, learning through some of the reading, through the professor, learning that uh, sometimes people are depressed and they don't know it. And I, at the time, I thought that's the craziest thing because at that point in my life, I probably had two major, like, weeks-long depressive episodes in my life. And, man, I knew I was depressed when I was depressed. Uh, but I came to learn different. I came to learn that, yeah, it's not easy to detect a lot of times. A lot of times, depression is not that easy to detect. So when I was preparing this sermon, a new idea uh, came that I'd never thought about before, which is just like depression is hard to detect, sometimes joy is hard to detect in our lives, even when it's found. And sometimes I think we fail to detect joy because we think that the presence of joy means the absence of sorrow. And it, it doesn't mean that. And I guarantee you, just telling you that right now, you can think of examples of times where you experience joy and sorrow at the same time, where there was a great sorrow, but at the same time there was something that was joyful. We had one of our members die this week, and, and she... Um, her family, we met to plan the funeral for next week. And you see it. There's, there's great sorrow because we're going to miss her. There's great joy at the same time. There's joy for her, for where she is now. There's joy in the memories. And so these are oftentimes, joy and sorrow are parallel tracks. They don't meet. They just happen at the same time. And so because they're happening at the same time, a lot of times we miss the joy because we expect if I'm going to be joyful, if I'm going to have the joy of the Lord, if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, that means that nothing can be wrong right now. You will never have a moment. There will always be a stray dog to steal away your joy or whatever the equivalent of that is in your life. So both the nevertheless joy and the yet joy are made possible because in the words of the angel, we have a Savior. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So there's a lot that you might be excited about in your life right now, this Christmas. Nevertheless, rejoice in God's provision of a Savior. Nevertheless, joy. There may be lots that's weighing you down this Christmas, yet you can rejoice in Jesus, your Savior. If Jesus is not your Savior, you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. You can enter into a relationship with Him by putting your faith in Him. And by His grace, which means undeserved favor, he you will be made right with God. Your, your sins will be forgiven. Your sins will go to Him on the cross, and His righteousness will go to your life, will be credited to your account. You can begin a relationship with Jesus as your Savior. If I can have the next um, slide here, if you're writing anything down, if you'd like to hear a little bit more, a three-minute video by Tony Evans, and if you just write down as a, as a shortened version of the website uh, with some great illustrations, a good chance that if Jesus is not your Savior, or maybe you can give it to someone, uh, some great illustrations that Tony Evans gives, and uh, I think you'll, you'll appreciate that. Okay, so to experience joy, you have to know where to find it. First, you find joy in the pleasures that God provides. 
Second, you find joy in God's loving promises. And third, you find joy in God himself. And we've already, that's that yet joy uh, is, we, we've, we've hinted at this already. So our joy is not just about God's promises to us, it's about God's presence with us. So it's not just about his promises, it's about his presence. One of the greatest announcements of Christmas is that Emmanuel is being born, which means God with us, the presence of God. And it's not just God coming at Christmas as Emmanuel. God is near to us even now. As the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters in Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. The Lord is near. So we can rejoice in God himself. Imagine the joy that you can experience as you seek and find and practice the pleasures that God provides, enjoying the pleasures that God provides, thinking about meditating on the promises that God gives you, finding it in God himself and enjoying his presence. Imagine the joy you'll experience this Christmas when you steal away time for quiet, meditative prayer. Read the Christmas story in Matthew or Luke. Spend some time thinking about God and his love toward you and his promises to his people in Christ. Spend some time meditating on that. Imagine the joy you'll experience when you enjoy a meal with some friends, that glimpses of joy. Even if right now your life feels joyless, the glimpses of joys as you spend time taking a break from the sorrow and from the stress to just spend time talking together over a meal. And imagine the joy you feel when you put on some Christmas music, turn off all the lights except the lights on the tree, and spend some time rejoicing in the God who is and is for us and has blessed us with his presence. It's not too late to find joy, even tonight, before you go to bed. We're going to pray in a moment. I just want to remind you, don't tip the candle. <laughs> Unless you want to entertain me, then you can, you can do one of those things. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the season. We thank you for the joy that you provide for us. Your presence is really enough, uh, but we struggle with just experiencing it fully. So we thank you for all the gifts that you offer to us to enjoy. Uh, in, as we wait to that day when we're going to see you fully and experience you fully. Father, we thank you for the promises that you give us. Um, we are so blessed. And I pray that this Christmas will be one where we draw nearer to you, where it's not said of us that, boy, I don't want to be with that person because they're, they're just so unhappy all the time. But I pray, Father, that we would be deeply, deeply happy even in the midst of whatever we're going through. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>